right, are we ready? Welcome back. Grab your Bibles. Um, turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. One of my favorite uh, uh, stories that has always kind of perplexed me and made me jealous is uh, from 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, you, you, you have the story of a young boy by the name of Samuel. He's about 13 years of age. He's, he's come of age in the, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish faith, and he is serving in, uh, in the temple. And in, in the temple, he is serving underneath the leadership of uh, a priest who is, his family life is an absolute mess. Eli is the name of it. And uh, so you, you've got Samuel who is serving day and night under the authority of Eli. And one night he has this peculiar kind of experience. And you've got to remember, Samuel is at the beck and call of, of, the, of the, the priest. Anytime that he calls, Samuel would quickly skitter off and go find out what he needs, and he would do these kind of duties. He'd carry out all these kind of activities. He'd listen to what the priest says. He was kind of under his mentorship. He would go and do all these kind of things. So one night as he was sleeping, Samuel just tucked away in his nice little bed. He hears his name. Samuel. Samuel. And quickly, what does he do? Like a good apprentice, he gets up and he runs and goes to the priest and says, I'm here. What is it that you need? And the old man wakes up and goes, I'm sleeping, I'm comfortable, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And it happens three times. Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up and goes to the priest. He's calling me again. The old man doesn't know what's going on. Maybe sleep has gotten the better of him. Finally, Eli goes, it's not me who's calling you. I I believe it's the Lord. Next time that you hear the calling, say, here I am, Lord. He goes back to bed one last time. Again, Samuel, Samuel, here am I, Lord. And what does God do? He speaks. And there's times where, as a 40-year-old man, I go, I so long to hear the audible voice of God. Where you just go, I know that is the voice of God. This morning, we're going to continue on in our series on the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence. And it's a, an 18-week series. Honestly, we should probably go for 52-some weeks because uh, it, it's quite a a broad subject as we investigate the third person of the Trinity. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit work in us personally and corporately? What, what, is, what are the roles that the Holy Spirit does that are different from God the Father and different than God the Son? What does He uniquely do? And is the Holy Spirit still continuing on today? So, Today, we are going to continue on, and uh, I, ho- I hope you're ready, because for me, this has been one of those weeks as I'm, I'm wrestling through Scripture, what is it that God is saying to us, the church, still today? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but we're going to back up just a tad, and we're going to start at uh, 13 verse 8. And go through 14, verse 5. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. This is the word of the Lord. For the past couple of weeks, we, we've been in 1 Corinthians. And we, we saw earlier in uh, this section, where uh, starting in chapter 12, that each of us, each person whose heart of stone has been changed and been given a heart of flesh, who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who, who's been made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit, each of us, each believer, has been given spiritual gifts. Something has happened to us where our, our old self is put to death and our new self is, is alive and well, and the Holy Spirit says, listen, I am going to give you spiritual gifts. These are grace gifts. And these grace gifts are for the common good. It's for the sake of the church of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm giving you these special grace gifts so that I may be made much of. Each of you, each believer, has these gifts for the common good. They're not just for me. They're not just to be hoarded. But they're for the common good. Additionally, he goes on to say later on that God purposefully has created us very, very different. Paul gave us the picture of of the human body and just says, listen, you've got a hand, you've got an arm, you've got an elbow, you've got this other small thing going on here. All these things are connected and each part is absolutely necessary. You've got muscles, you've got ligaments, you've got bones, you've got blood, you've got veins, you've got vessels, you've got all these organs and they are all necessary to function, to work together for the sake of the gospel. Each one is very, very different, but they're a unified body. So you've each been given gifts and talents and passions for the sake of the kingdom. Every one of you. And you're all different. Sometimes strange, but you're all different. And we take those gifts, we put them into one body, and together we resemble the body of Christ. And as the world looks at the local church, they say, wow. You guys are so different, but yet you work together for the sake of of the gospel for something and that is beautiful and lastly we talked about last week that one of the major works of the holy spirit is to point us towards jesus christ and his love we looked at chapter 13 and chapter 13 usually is used in, in weddings, and really it shouldn't be used in weddings because that's really not the purpose of this, but it's a really nice warm and fuzzy kind of thing. It's talking about how the body of Christ works together and how we are to love as Christ has loved us and how it should become absolutely natural. And Jesus left no doubt that this this agape love, this God kind of love, this self-sacrificing love is the supreme mark of discipleship. The supreme mark of discipleship to him. He both demonstrated it and taught it. He spoke about it. He said, a new commandment I'm going to give you. 
love one another. That's a new commandment. Love one another. It is the highest mark that I have for the body of Christ. Love, love, love. And then how did he demonstrate it? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Christ demonstrated love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The church needs to be marked by love. And the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding and re-reminding and re-reminding us of the love of Christ and pointing us back to Jesus Christ. So this morning, we, we get to this section. We, love never fails. And then we get to this section, 14 verse 1. Pursue love. And that word there is really, it's uh, in the Greek, it comes from, uh, it's almost persecute. So the same way that you would persecute somebody, and the Apostle Paul got that, that you go after him, he chased Christians down. He hunted them down. In the same way, that's how you are to pursue love. Pursue it. Go after love really, really hard. And earnestly, he said, earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially what prophecy and then he says he brings in that other word what is it does anybody dare say it tongues yeah now I, i'm i'm gonna tell you there's there's part of my upbringing that when i hear prophecy in tongue immediately i think of uh, a tv channel called tbn trinity broadcast network where you got all the people in these great big gold chairs and men with a lot of hair product and women with a lot of caked on makeup and, you know, they're swaying to the music. And, and there's, uh, I think about um, just a lot of absolutely crazy church services. I think about uh, people barking in the aisles and slaying. And sp- I think about all these things and immediately, what do I do? I, I just, I, I react and I go, I don't want that. I want to swing to the other end. I want to say, absolutely, there's no... Whatever is going on there, strange, bizarre, uncalculated. What, whatever that is, I, I really don't want to be about this. But here's the thing. As, as I've been praying and reading through this, as I've been studying and then praying and reading and praying and reading and studying and praying and reading and studying, and like I, I'll tell you, this has been one... Of, I told uh, the group this morning, this has been one of the hardest sermons for me to prepare for. One of the hardest ones. Because I know that this very subject about the Holy Spirit, particularly around the issue of prophecy and the subject of tongues, is a polarizing thing. Whole denominations are created around these very uh, subjects. And walls are built up. Huge walls. And I'll tell you, stones are thrown in the name of orthodoxy around this subject of spiritual gifts. Specifically, prophecy and tongues. And so as I'm studying it, I'm I'm wrestling with it and going, okay, as I, I think about my childhood, uh, the stories as I heard about Samuel and his, his so sensitive and hearing God, God speaking to him. I wonder, does God still speak to us today? Does he still speak to Jenea Pakalik in, in such a way that she goes, that is the voice of God? Can't can she... Can she hear it? Can I hear it? Do we, do we faithfully hear these kind of things? Because if God does, it, it changes a lot of things for how we do church today. It changes a lot. The whole issue of knowing when and where and how to pray for healing. The issue of knowing when to ask God for some sign or miracle. The issue of making ministry decisions when you've exhausted your whole ability to apply Scripture, and two, 
perfectly good options are still there, and they're both equally wise, all these issues raise us, raise the question of the role of prophecy. Does God still speak to his church? And if so, what is it like? Well, it requires us to look at uh, chapter 13, verse 8. In in 13, verse 8, and I I want you to read this along with me. Uh, Again, part of the body, your responsibility is to test everything against what? Scripture. So I don't want to be just one of those wise, slick kind of uh, pastors that come in and you go, oh yeah, whatever Paul says, put it against Scripture, okay? Verse 13 says, love never ends. As for prophecy, what will they do? They'll pass away. As for tongues, what will they do? They'll cease. As for knowledge, what will it do? It too will pass away. So the question I want to try to answer first is, what is the time, what time is Paul referring to when he says that prophecies will pass away? What is that time frame that he's looking at right there? And has it already passed away? Or is that time yet to come? So the next two verses give us the reason for why prophecies and knowledge will pass away. Because it says here, for we will know in part and will prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He goes on to say, you know, when I, he gives you the, the picture when as, you know, as a kid, I didn't quite know everything. I didn't, all these kind of things. But there's a point of maturity when everything will be perfect and made right so in this section if if you look at for we will know in part and prophesy in part basically it it is saying for we will know in part we right now in this time we will know in part how many people today say they know completely everything everything that has happened, will happen, and is going to happen? Okay, good. Because we might have to have church discipline if you raised your hand. It says, but it says, but when the perfect comes, when the perfect comes, or the mature or complete, when it talks about perfect there, it talks about, it can be one of two meanings. Mature or complete? When that comes, the partial, literally, the partial, will pass away. So the reason that prophecies will pass away is that the time is coming when the partially or the incompleteness of the gift of prophecy will be replaced with perfection and completeness and wholeness and maturity. So when is that time? When is it when Scripture is complete? Because that's what many, one, one side will say. One side says, well, what the Apostle Paul is saying, when Scripture is completely finished being written, when the canon is closed, when all 66 books of the Bible have been gathered together, that is when there is perfection. One, one of the people that I highly respect says this and let me quote him when scripture is completed then the church will have revelation thoroughly to suit her condition on earth our completed bible is perfect in the sense that it is utterly sufficient revelation for all of our needs paul is saying when the sufficient comes the inadequate and partial will be done away tongues will vanish knowledge and prophecies will cease at the time the New Testament is finished. So this person believes when verse 10 says, when the perfect comes, they say it means when the perfect New Testament comes. Is that what Paul means, though? Is that what Paul is trying to get at here? The other view says that the coming of the perfect refers to the experience of the perfection at the return of Christ. 
You want to talk about perfection? No more sorrows. No more tears. And you look here. You you see verse 12. Now we see in a dim in a mirror dimly. We're we're right now everything we have scripture. But I'll tell you everything is in a fog, isn't it? We even these issues, I'll tell you, most polarizing things in, in the Christian church today, issue of baptism. True? Whole denominations. Issue of spiritual gifts. Whole denominations. Issue of church membership. Issue of uh, ordination. Issue of, uh, dare I say, homosexuality. All those kind of things. Right now, on this side of eternity, we look into a mirror dimly. By no means can we... We say that everything is perfect, even with the Scripture that we have in hand. Some of us may scream orthodoxy and that you, you over there are a bunch of heretics. But on this side, everything, although we have the Scripture, everything is seen dimly. But then he goes on. Now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, but then, Face to face. It's talking about that day when we will see who face to face? Jesus Christ. And what is going to be taking place there? Perfection. When we see Jesus Christ face to face, perfection. Perfection. For me, I believe that the coming of the perfect in verse 10 refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And for me, the natural understanding of this text is that the gifts will continue until he returns. Now, for some of you, you're going, maybe it's time for me to find another church. Because maybe Missy O'Day is going to be purchasing great big gold chairs and Paul's going to get a toupee and big hair product and we're going to have dancing in the aisles which john solomon would really love you know maybe it's going to maybe we're going to be swinging from the chandeliers we're going to have one of those kind of churches and it's just going to be chaos in here that's not what i'm saying but i i believe that perfection will only be achieved at the second coming of jesus christ at which every knee will bow And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to that day, we look forward to. Until then, the gifts of the Spirit are available. I need to, for some of you, maybe I need to do a little bit of reaffirming here. I need to reaffirm for you the the finality and the sufficiency of Scripture. The 66 books of of the Bible. You need to hear right now, before I go any further, that nothing I'm going to say about today's prophecies mean that they have authority over our lives like Scripture. Wherever uh, prophecies are given today, they do not add to Scripture in any way. If anything, they are tested by Scripture. Scripture is absolutely closed. It is a foundation and not a building in process. I want you to hear that from me. I also want you to hear that I believe in sola scriptura. That it is, the scripture alone is our standard. I want you to also hear that I believe in sola Christus. That it is by Christ's work alone that we are saved. That I believe in faith alone. That I believe it, it is by grace alone that we are saved. That it is to God alone be all the glory in everything that we do. I also believe 
that we as a church believe in a classical, evangelical position of the gospel, that we are entirely, we are entirely unable to save ourselves, that we are dead in our sins, but it is a work of God that has regenerated and changed our hearts. That is by the grace of God alone that we are saved, that our hearts uh, are warm to the gospel. I could go on. Some of you Reformed folk would love to hear that, you know, I, that I believe in tulip, not the little flowers, but I believe in total depravity, that I, I believe in unconditional election, I believe in limited atonement, that I believe in irresistible grace, and I believe in the perseverance of the saints, tulip. I believe that that is what Scripture reveals, but you know what? That, that's not the real issue here. I believe, I believe without the charismatic element, and that word freaks some of you out, without that spirit-filled element, without the spirit-filled element, Sometimes we can believe that the miracle of salvation, after the miracle of salvation, that there is little that God does in our Christian walk. The charismatic, the spirit-filled Christian believes that we should be experientially conscious of the work of the same spirit in our lives as Christians. And here's the thing. I have a desire to have it all. I want it all. And I want to have it in extreme form. I want to fully enjoy God and all the gifts that He has given to me and to our church. I I want to just enjoy and find my greatest pleasure in God. That's what I want in, for all of us. That's, that's my great desire. Rather than just a little bit of everything so that we become balanced. I'm not sure that biblical Christianity is about balance. Even though that's kind of the thing that we want. I want just a little bit of that. Well, I want a little bit of this. I, selfishly, I want to experience the truth of God's Word. I want to fully experience the truth of God's Word in my life and experience the power of the supernatural. That is my hope for us as a church and for me. Experience the truth of God's Word. The full truth of it and experience the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will transform a cold, tired heart, a cold, tired church, transform us, remind us of the love that we once had, and shoot us out into the world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ without fear, of repercussions, that's willing to take cookies down First Street in Mokina and just say, listen, our church wants to show you the love of Jesus Christ. And I want to share you some stories about how God has changed me and he's still changing me. This is great stuff. You know, and people go, wow. And let me tell you the truth about who Jesus Christ is. The absolute truth. That's what I want. So I'm going to move now to this next section. About prophecy. Get your seatbelts on. Lock in. And let's go. Trusting that God still speaks today. Trusting that God is still speaking to His church. That everything still needs to be tested through what? Scripture. Which is complete. It is final and sufficient. But God still speaks through His Holy Spirit to this church today. I want to give you 
uh, a few definitions. And the first is by a man that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. His name is J.I. Packer, and hopefully this will come up for me. If not, I'm going to send Todd back. Maybe not. Is it popping up? If not, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it here. J.I. Packer says this. This is his definition of what prophecy is. The essence of the prophetic ministry was foretelling God's present word to his people. And this regularly meant application of revealed truth rather than augmentation. In other words, rather than adding to and slightly changing. Any verbal reinforcement of biblical teaching as it applies to one's present hearers may properly be called prophecy today. The verbal reinforcement of biblical teaching. The verbal reinforcement of biblical teaching as it applies to one's hearers may properly be called prophecy. John Piper whether some of you believe it or not, is a continuist. He believes that the gifts of the Spirit continue on. As a Baptist, I know. He believes this. And he believes, and just so you know, another one, if you're evangelical free or come from that background, so is D.A. Carson. He believes that, yeah. But this is what John Piper says. This is what prophecy is. It is a Spirit-prompted, Spirit-sustained utterance that does not carry intrinsic divine authority and may be mixed with error. I like how he adds that little may be mixed with error. Why does he add that? Have you ever met Paul? Are, Are there times where I don't hear clearly, where the mirror is still dim? Absolutely. So again, the need for the church to do what? Test with Scripture, which is final and complete. It is Spirit-prompted. Have you ever had those times? I've had it in the middle of sermons where all of a sudden I go, all right, and some of you go, I know what you're talking about, Paul, where I say, okay, I need to step away from this for a little bit because this is heavy on my heart, and you need to hear me say this. A Spirit-prompted moment. Where you, as you are doing whatever it is that you're doing, where it is clear that God is laying something heavy on your heart, on your mind, your thoughts, your soul, and without you saying it, there's this burning inside. And you've got to say, listen, it is spontaneous. It's, it's off the cuff. It's all off my notes. But you need to hear this today. The Lord is saying that someone here is struggling with this or we as a community need to repent it is spirit prompted spirit sustained utterance and the last one is from gordon fee if you ever want to read gordon fee's book it is about yay big ginormous trying to get one definition out of gordon fee it's a task but for gordon fee Prophecy is the spontaneous word given to God's people for the edification of the whole. And we see that here. What what is the purpose? If you look at 14 verse 4, the one who prophesies does what? He builds up the, the church. He speaks what God has placed on his on his heart and he speaks it to the church. So as I'm looking at this, I'm going, okay, how, how do we, if we believe that the perfection is found only when Jesus Christ comes, until that day, we are in a long road of, 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 of sanctification, being made like Jesus Christ, but perfection is found that last day when we are see him face to face. How then do we apply this? Because I'll tell you, in our church, this is kind of that freaky voodoo, weird, snake handling kind of stuff, right? What, how, how do we do prophecy? Am I calling to say, you know what? We're going to have elders, deacons, and oh yes, we're going to have prophets now. No. 
We're not looking for that. But Romans 12, 6 through 8. Again, if you want to test things, Romans, Paul's major writing here to the church in Rome, says this. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, hence these gifts are grace gifts, let us use them. If God gives you a gift, you are to use them. If prophecy, in proportion to what? Our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So how do we do this? First of all, we've got to make a decision that we are going to do it. That we are going to take that step. And if God has placed a word, a prophetic word, what do we do? He says, we use it in proportion to our faith. In proportion to our faith. Trusting that God is faithful and true. Trusting that God desires to see His church as a pure, spotless bride. And in faith that God still speaks to His people to see His church made more beautiful, more radiant. Trusting in faith that the scripture that we have before us is speaking to us as well. How do we do this? How do we, how do we even cultivate a prophetic voice? How do we do that? How about when our hearts are entrenched in Christ? John 15, 7 through 8 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we are so entrenched in Christ, when our identity and our lives are in Christ, that's the beginning of finding that voice. Secondly, when we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds on a daily basis. Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do we renew our minds? How do we test what is good, perfect, and acceptable? As we open Scripture and you chew on it and gnaw on it and listen carefully to the words of Scripture, as the Spirit speaks in and through, it speaks to our mind, it changes our mind about God about ourselves and about this world. Constantly renewing our mind. How else do we do it? How do we cultivate a prophetic voice when our prayer lives are being cultivated? Look at Ephesians 6, 8, where Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. Praying for one another. Man, praying by name. God, I am praying. I'm praying for Stephen. God, I don't know what is going on in his life, what is going on in his marriage with his kids, with his workplace. God, I don't know what's going on there. And God, but by the power of your spirit, would you work mightily there and 
Could you imagine if we are constantly praying for the saints with all perseverance? How God says, I love this. This is beautiful. Let me tell you how to pray for this brother, this sister. Another way, when we put to death the deeds of our body, Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If sin still reigns in our life, it clouds our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings. Then the last one. And I'm sure there's tons more. How do we cultivate? When we love the church and we see it as the bride of Christ. When we really love the church. Yes, the church global. But when we love the church local. And if we love this church and we say this is, this is the body of Christ gathered called Missio Dei, this is, this, is, this is a beautiful thing that God has done. And this is his bride. And we're working together as the body of Christ, each one uniquely differently because the Spirit has gifted us all. And we work together in unity, although very diverse, and we're in the, interdependent upon each other. And we're, each part is beautiful and worth a ton. I love the body of Christ. I love our church. If we love our church, not in a selfish kind of, it's all about me kind of thing, because we love it because what Christ has done and is doing in and amongst us, and we desire to see us grow and mature in Christ, I I think about, I think about Ephesians uh, 4, verse 11. And he gave, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ when we love it and we are working together to see the fullness of Christ here, can you imagine what that would look like? When we are so in tune with the heart of our Father, so in tune with the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, so in tune to the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, we desire to share with those His heart that we love. So how do we do this? Advice that I've received is be clear, be brief, and be submitted. Be clear. What has God put on your heart? Be clear. You know what, Jenea? I, I feel like God is saying that yada, 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 and you share what it is. And you're brief. You don't need to uh, do a sermonette or a sermon like me. 45 minutes later, you're done with your prophetic word. Because that's going to kill Jenea. My son's in nursery. Giddy up. Clear, brief, and submitted. Submitted one, first to the authority of Scripture, where you are testing every word that's coming out of my mouth. Does it, does it line up with what Scripture says is, is beautiful and pure and godly? And am I also submitted to the leadership of the church? Because God has placed them in a position of authority to govern the church, to shepherd the church, to care for the church. Do we do it with humility? 
do we do it with love? 1 Corinthians 13. And do we do it with faith? There are some churches that have a, a special mic up in front for prophetic words. We're not there yet. Will we be? I don't know. But I believe that some of us have a gift of prophecy. And some of us have a little bit of work to cultivate. But God has given us so that we may find our full measure, attain a, the full measure of perfection in Jesus Christ. Part of me wants to see how many people are freaked out. Maybe I'll send out a survey later. But I think that this is another beautiful way that God is using His church to bring us to maturity through faithful brothers and sisters. Want a little bit more reading to do? Check out Acts 2, what happened at Pentecost. In those last days, I'll pour out my spirit on my sons and my daughters, and they'll prophesy. They'll prophesy, sons and daughters. They'll prophesy. There's going to be dreams and visions and all kinds of stuff. Is it possible that he'll continue to work in us as a church? Spirit-led. Trusting fully in the work of Jesus Christ. My prayer is yes. Let us pray. Jesus, I pray that as we pursue love, that we, we remember that it is nothing more than the embodiment, that love is no more uh, than the embodiment of the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed. God, that we may, I pray that Missio Dei Church, that we be a church who pursues hard after love because we recognize the love that has been given to us that while we were yet sinners while we were yet objects of wrath you died for us that you saved us saved us from ourselves saved us from the, the wiles of the devil you saved us from hell and God, that is an act of your grace. We also thank you that at Pentecost, your spirit was pulled out, poured out fully on your church, your people. That you have blessed us with the gifts of the spirit fully. And that they are to be used for the common good of the church in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in maturing the church and equipping the church for every task that it has. God, I pray that in the upcoming week and weeks that you give us more and more clarity as to what this means for us as your church. God, that if there was any uh, error even in my teaching, Lord, would would you correct that? Would you bring that to our attention? Because God, I want to make much of you. Because you are the King, King Jesus. God, may we pursue love. May we desire your gifts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
one of the things we do. That as we have heard the gospel, we respond to it. We participate it, participate in it on a weekly basis by taking communion. Remembering that Jesus left his place of glory, became man, lived the perfect life for us in the flesh, lived the life that we could never live, died the death that we so deserved, absorbing the wrath of God and making us sons and daughters of the King. And as we identify in his death, dying to ourselves, our wants, our needs, to his wants and his needs, we come to new life and we participate in his resurrection and we find new life in him. Today we will be sharing in communion together as a body. This meal is open to all who believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and have confessed with their mouth the same. I want you in the next few minutes to remember the work of Christ. Remember the beauty of the gospel that he has saved us. I want you to take a moment to confess your sins. Remembering that he's faithful in forgiving them. And then at the appropriate time, come forward and participate in communion. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup of blessing and he poured it out saying, this is my blood in the new covenant poured out for you. Do this also in remembrance of me. Would those who are serving please come forward?